we're functioning in societies and cultures whose reality is mostly sustained by functioning on our self-doubt. Happiness is in our constitution and it was one of the first constitutions to, I think it was actually the first to do that. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. Welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. We've already been talking for 15 minutes and we I, at one point I forgot to record, but we started recording and then we got off topic. So this, this should be a long and winding road with our guest today, uh, Angela Natividad, who is the co-founder at Hurrah and also the chief operating officer, I should say. Angela, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking, for inviting me, and for incorporating a Beatles reference. Yeah, I do what I can. I do what I can for the kids. You know, the kids love the Beatles. Very important education. Um, I'm already glad that I did invite you because uh, you've, you've made me take a lot of notes of things I'm going to be researching when we hang up. So thanks a lot. About the universe. Yeah, <laughs> all about the universe and a lot of other topics uh, <laughs> that you have, which we're going to touch on. But actually, before we jump in, would you please give people a little bit of a career rundown or I don't care if it's about your career, but tell people who you are and, and what you do. Like my human trajectory or the hurrah trajectory? Does it matter? Your human trajectory. I'm interested in you. But if, it, if that ties in with hurrah, then that's great too. Okay. So um, in terms of the hard metrics, I've been working in uh, advertising mixed with a little bit of tech, mixed with a little bit of startups for about 15 years, sometimes as a journalist, even still now, um, sometimes as a strategist and now as a founder. Um, me and my business partner actually met at our previous agency, Darwin, which was an entertainment agency. Um, and we launched Hurrah when we left about like something close to four years ago when we realized that esports, it was really strange because people in advertising tend to think of themselves as the ultimate actionable anthropologists. And, uh, and we tend not to be aware of our own blind spots, but esports was a huge blind spot just because of how massive the sector was, how much, uh, I don't like to talk about money, but I guess we have to because things, um, how much money it was bringing in, um, how little advertisers actually cared and how, you know, all these people would be watching these huge matches all over the world because it's totally untethered from space time, if you like, and like in the, you know, in the way that, you know, sports actually is totally tethered to space time. Um, and, and there were no ads. Sometimes there were just timers between matches, you know, just counting down 15 minutes, which was really shocking. It was kind of like the Super Bowl without ads. But isn't that fantastic? Was it great? Yeah, it was, it was kind of nuts. We were just like, uh, I don't get why nobody's here. And then we realized when we first launched the agency that um, there are a lot of stereotypes that people have about gamers generally. And um, no matter, it was a really good case study in this you know, notion that I think we all know that no matter how many facts you throw in front of people, you know, the average age of an esports fan is like 25, 30, they have discretionary income, they're not in the basement of their parents, right. they're making really long-term branding decisions, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think people jump to the uh, the comic book guy from The Simpsons as the exactly. gamer, but whenever, yeah. you don't have to look too far to see that the athletes who participate in, in esports are, they look like NASCAR drivers. I mean, they look yeah. like 
people that take care of themselves and are, you can see that they're actually exercising uh, more than yeah. you can see that they are doing things to get better at their sport. Exactly. And they have to, but it, it's cool that you bring up uh, the appearance of athletes. Cause at the time, like uh, when we launched the agency, we kind of, we prepared this pitch deck um, and we, we invited a bunch of friends over and pitched it in front of them. Um, people in business, advertising brands, who'd been there a long time, they got really excited about the data and stats. And then we got to like a full-size image of what at that time was a really strong French team. And, um, and you know, they, they're, they're young. And, uh, and all of a sudden they just switched off. They were like, oh, fuck it. These are kids. Like, this is not worth my time. Like everything you said just vanished. <laughs> That's super weird. It, it was it was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask. I want to lock into a few things that you said. Um, mm-hmm. When you said at that time this team was really good, what mm-hmm. is the lifespan for a team? How long does a team stay good? And in, in other sports, in pro sports here in the U.S. and in uh, you know you're in France, so in football, you see dynasties that kind of rise and fall, and they have a three yeah. so roughly. Is it is it the same? So one of the really cool and interesting things about esports teams is that um, teams with a lot a lot of longevity they tend to um, they tend to be multi gaming teams because esports I mean to be fair sports is changing all the time people are inventing new sports all the time but football is probably still going to be popular and probably look the same a hundred years from now um, esports is basically on a video game marketing schedule. So, you know, it needs to blockbuster and uh, it needs to do really well. And maybe a year from now, it's not gonna matter. Like the big esports that are killing it right now didn't even exist two years ago. Um, so a lot of the teams that are really strong have really strong marketing in addition to making really smart, um, you know, sort of, you know, who's on their team kind of decisions. But they're also, they also tend to be multi-game teams. So, so they will be strong or weak depending on the specific people and the games that you're talking about. But the team collectively, you know, like will have a certain value depending on, you know, and what moment in time and what game you're talking is, about. Is it, um, so this is perfect. I'm an outsider to esports. So uh, if you're listening to this, I'm your guide to asking questions if you don't know. And we have an expert here, which is fantastic. Um, actually, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I'll try. Well, you know more than I do, which I'll, I, I will take. Um, Angela did an episode of the fantastic Marketing Over Coffee show as well, which has a, um, a good primer for what we're going to go into. And I'm going to try to go a little bit deeper and, and talk more philosophically. As an outsider trying to understand it, right now I know Overwatch is one of the big sports that's one of the big games that teams are playing yeah but what makes also kind of an exception to what i've just said but we can talk about that later (laughs) well yeah i that's why that's why i'm asking because i i know that it's an exception but what makes esports impenetrable to me as a as what what might be a potential fan or as a marketer i can't figure out when you say uh football i Mm -hmm. really choices right but if i say baseball i know what game we're going to play Mm-hmm. Basketball. I know what that's going to look like. When someone yeah. says esports, I roughly understand the stadiums. I understand what that what that feels like, but I don't even know what goddamn game they're going to be playing. And sometimes I I picture a game like Overwatch where I go, oh okay, I can get my head around this. I know what it is. How does how does that tide uh, rise and fall? And how do is it the games that are so good, or is there something that makes a good esports game? 
it's actually, it's really cool that you say this because um, I think esports is fairly young and it's just a kind of arriving into mainstream consciousness. So people do a thing that they do when something is new. You know, they tend to talk about it like it's a, it's a monolith. But um, talking about esports as a monolith is kind of like talking about sports in generalities. Like you can ask um, Serena Williams how she feels about sports and maybe she'll say like a couple of maybe useful things, but you should really ask her about tennis. Right. Um, esports is the same. And um, it's really hard for people to grasp the degree to which it's proteiform. So, so one of the issues that you encounter in esports, for example, in addition to what I was talking about earlier, which is that, you know, new games are coming out all the time in their respective categories, is that often when people think about esports, they'll think about um, simulations of existing sports. So they'll think about FIFA. Yeah, or Madden or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or NBA 2K, whatever. And um, definitely that is part of the esports universe. That is a super tiny part of the esports universe. That's less than, last time I checked the figures, that's less than 8% in a massive universe. Like um, in practical terms, um, an esport is any kind of video game that you play on a platform where you can have a person competing against another person. And this is also, even within the sector, kind of a contentious discussion. Um, so for example, we can all generally agree that um, CSGO, League of Legends, Overwatch are esports. We kind of like have the model, okay, you've got teams, people playing against each other. Um, you've got tournament standards, you know, whatever. Um, there are bigger points of contention about games like, um, you know, Just Dance, for example. Um, technically, it's an esports. Sometimes people don't feel that way. Um, fighting games like Street Fighter or Tekken, these are also esports, but fighting games don't like to be considered esports because they don't like the baggage, which is a really interesting um, point of discussion. Fortnite is also technically in its own way an esport, but um, people don't like to think of it that way. And there are a million reasons why people might not like to think of it that way. Like they don't like the way that it's marketed. They don't like that it's very entertainment and you know less focused on you know the super competitive side. But that's also you know entertainment is also really important because we're moving. So yeah, but it is a game and a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay that a game is entertaining. I mean, my kids play Roblox with. Uh, there's a hundred games in there, but they play one particular game in, in Roblox with people from around the country. Yeah. Not an esport. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But that, that's the thing. Like, uh, there's a sort of, especially now, there's a kind of purism about esports on the inside, but there's also kind of a lack of clarity about what esports is on the outside. I think one thing that we can generally agree on, though, is that um, when you're talking about esports, um, nobody has really found kind of like the football of esports, you know, like when you get a bunch of people together to watch the Super Bowl, even if I don't follow football, I don't care that much. I generally get the game. It can generally be fun for me. I'll be okay being there. Um, in a lot of cases, most esports are kind of way too complicated to do that, like to just bring in a bunch of people who don't care that much or don't really get it. Um, personally, I think that Fortnite does really good work in this regard, like kind of opening the door to, you know, it's okay to be competitive on the one hand, but also entertainment on the other. Like, I think we need both. Um, it's also like sort of cartoony and, you know, it's yeah. pleasant. It's accessible. 
Yeah, exactly. And what and made the Super Bowl not afraid of it? What made Super Bowls accessible is not that people like the sport better or worse or understand it. Uh, it is that it became a connection to culture. Yeah, a lot through advertising and through celebrity and through the athletes becoming stars. So let's rewind and go back to when you said you you introduced Tara and you started and nobody was there. No brands were there. Mm-hmm. Even before that, you said you don't like to talk about money and we know it's generating money. So yeah, are brands showing up in that 15-minute countdown now? Or there is there, um, I know we wouldn't call it ads. It's probably sponsored content or something more clever than I'm coming up with, but right? It's a content. Let's just not bullshit around. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. Are you doing 15 <laughs> minutes of ads or are they doing packages of the different teams and this player's journey to get to this championship game or how is it working? It's actually, uh, it's, it's really cool. I'm going to talk to you about our journey specifically because it's, uh, you know, like, I think that's, I don't know that anybody can ever do anything different anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually we thought that we would have a, a much tougher learning curve especially with non-endemic brands, you know, like consumer packaged goods, et cetera. Um, just because of, you know, people's prejudices about esports, that was a really difficult thing to educate. Like even now it still is. Um, and on top of that, uh, being an American in France, uh, France tends to be, in terms of new things, a bit of a much slower adopter than, uh, than American brands or the American mainstream in general. Mm-hmm. Um, with esports, though, France has had a huge advantage. Um, it's a culture that's already nourished the, ecosys- the ecosystem of esports for over 10, 12, maybe even 15 years. The government is tightly involved. And brands that we thought would be kind of like wait and see for about a year or so, like, you know, waiting for other brands to make a bigger splash. Um, they were wait and see for a while. And then uh, they gave us a surprising amount of trust. Like, uh, for example, you know, we were able to do really cool stuff with Nestle in its first foray into esports. You know, we were actually able to organize a contest where we where we could gather together all of the most passionate fans of League of Legends in France and actually, you know, like hand select 100 and then take them on a bus to Law Worlds in Hamburg. You know, that was a that was a huge execution and they they trusted us even though we were really young and small. They didn't have to. So so it turns out that um in terms of brand acceptance, it's been a it's been really good here. And are there because um, I asked about Overwatch, and then you just brought up mm-hmm. that League of Legends thing. Are people are there people that are just fans of one game? Yeah, of course. And yeah. what's I mean? So if do they play one game only at a tournament? Um, so the interesting thing about uh, fans, it's like a you know there are tons of different kinds of college universes of fans, right? Like my husband is a really huge fan of CS:GO. He watches it. He plays it. There are other games that he's tried and given up on, but he still watches them on Twitch. So, for example, he tried Hearthstone like one time and realized he didn't like it. But it's been like over a year and he still watches it. He watches it really regularly. Um, so, so you have this sort of diversity in terms of like what you might be playing regularly, what you might be playing casually, and also like, you know, just things that you're just really into watching for entertainment or strategic purposes. How long does a game of uh, 
Hearts don't go on. I don't know. Like, uh, I guess it depends on the play, but maybe like 10 minutes. Okay. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's card games. So. So if, if you're watching that, does that mean you're not watching something else? Like to, to insert something else into your media diet, you're cutting out something else. So if you're a hardcore fan, you're, you're, what else are they giving up most frequently? Do you have any insight into that? So one of the, uh, ooh, I have a twofold answer to this. So I like the- twofold answers. You're allowed three. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so one of the cool reasons that we got into esports was, uh, it was like I was telling you earlier, like we realized that people were not talking to this audience, like people in advertising. I mean, let's be honest. We want to talk to the prom king and queen. You know, we want to talk to sexy kids. We don't want to talk to kids. We don't want to talk to adults or old people or the disabled. We really just want like the prom king and queen and um, gamer geeks, like what we consider gamer geeks. Like there are a lot of people that just don't want those people. And, um, and what we found when we started out in esports is that, you know, it's quite diverse. Like I told you earlier, like the average age is 25 to 30. There are a lot of different kinds of games that you can play. And, you know, like, um, a lot of the people that do play, they don't resemble what you think of as these sort of like nerds that have no life. Like it's a really silly idea. They're, they're people just like me and you. I feel like it's really silly that I even have to say that. Um, but one of the weird effects of the stereotype is that um, they are like at the time that we launched, they're totally cut off from uh, any other advertising and media for at least uh, five, six hours a day. Like they're just focused on their thing. And that leads me also to my second point, which is that, um, you know, people get really upset now about like Facebook and Twitter. And we also feel kind of trapped in these social networks where we're all super visible and everybody has access to us and they're probably manipulating us, whatever. Um, Esports is one of the few major entertainment sectors where people actually have alternative forms of social media and they're totally fine. You know, like uh, they have Twitch and Discord, even Steam in its own way as a type of, you know, like it is a type of social platform. And yeah, and nobody at that time was thinking about that. Discord is built around the idea of not adding all the tracking and right it's it's kind of a free form platform that's almost like an uh built in the slack model of yeah it's super clean yeah yeah that's interesting that that those are the platforms that have risen up but do you is it well i don't i don't know if we want to get into a whole thing on ircs that'll be that's a different show See, that's a, that's also a totally different guest. Yeah, <laughs> I have a feeling you have some opinions on it though. <laughs> Maybe I'd have to dig out the nineties version of myself there you to go. find my, to find my feelings about IRC. <laughs> are there still <laughs> brands that you meet that don't want any part of it? Are you still, are you still having to educate them or are they, do they at least under aware of it and understand principally this is what esports is and how it works or are they more like me that are coming in really cold and don't don't understand so the cool thing about brands now is that um they require a lot less education um they are at the very least aware um a lot of them already come in with plans and ideas about what they what they would like even if they don't necessarily know very much about the sector itself because the sector is also really insular like 
you don't really know what you don't know until you start talking to people. And I think um, brands have done really good work in that regard. And I think the sector has also done good work in terms of like helping educate people. Like there's a lot that can be said about Blizzard and Overwatch, but Blizzard has tried working really hard also to get non-endemic brands to understand it. I think Twitch is also working really hard too, like as it diversifies to um, to get people who are outside of, you know, gaming generally to understand it. But there's also um, one of the co-founders of, C- of ESL, which is like one of the bigger tournament organizers in esports, Ralph Rayshirt. He said something really interesting at an esports bar, which is like a, a sector conference. Recently, he said, um, like there are lots of brands that are trying to get into esports, um, and they they succeed at varying levels, you know, depending on you know how entrenched and how well they study, you know, whatever. Um, but for sure, in the future, just because of where the world is going and the degree to which everything is becoming, um, you know, engagement is important. And when you're talking about engagement, you're also talking about the way that you're um, that you're addressing people and getting involved with people, and you know, like uh, creating tactility for people and involvement for people. Um, he said, at the very least, every marketer is going to require um, a foundational gaming strategy on top of which they can ultimately build an esports strategy. And I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. I want to ask uh, if, have you seen, you've been in this space now for a couple of years. Have you seen changes now in the way Blizzard and other companies are developing new games for esports based on, or maybe not for esports, but how is the interest in esports in particular changing the way they are cycling through and coming up with game concepts? Fortnite developed during the time of esports and is, I agree with you, it's not a traditional esport and it feels like an outsider game, um, which is fantastic ultimately for esports because it's introducing more people into play. Mm-hmm. But are you seeing anything in terms of uh, a focus on games that would be great for competitions or... Have you seen anything that's shaping the way games are developed? So on the one hand, when you're talking about esports, what you're talking about is um, is a sector that has DNA, like pretty strong DNA from the from the gaming industry. And a lot of the things that kill it in the gaming industry, I mean, it's like a, it's like anything in social, in art, in creative, it's alchemy, right? Like when we talk about Fortnite specifically, um, we're talking about um, battle royale games. And right. battle royale games have, the, the Google yeah. of, of the whole entire category of games. Exactly. Yeah. And we have precedent for battle royale games. They weren't always all that. It's just, you know, like it depends on how the culture feels at any given time. Nobody could have seen that Fortnite was going to kill it after PUBG, you know, like, um, so there's that on the one side, um, on the other side, like when you're inside the business of esports, one of the things that you find is a lot of the people that are kind of like the tastemakers of the business of esports, like people who are high up now in Blizzard, in Twitch, in ESL. They came from esports originally. They're they're fans originally, and um, and they have this. Uh, at the very least, they 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 manifest a perspective that for a long time has been very true to esports, which is that um, even though it's not necessarily bound by space, it is. Uh, it does tend to be super grassroots and very local and the things that have mattered and created a larger culture of esports have come from those from those roots of you know being really close to the user and what we're what we're seeing now is um 
there's kind of like a an awkward and sort of gross joke that everybody kind of bandies around in the industry, which is that uh, everybody's talking about all the money, you know, like that's all we talk about is all the money. Where is it? <laughs> like we can't, we can't find it. <laughs> find it. <laughs> and um, and the result of this is that um, everybody um, from the biggest publishers to tournament organizers, to, you know, whatever um, is mobilizing to uh, to kind of, shape the future of esports for for better or for worse i think we all agree that we want um a sustainable and more right. inclusive industry over the long term but now we have something that we did not have before just because of all this pressure and talk about money which is that um you have a a corporate perspective that is now talking to grassroots and that in a lot of ways um is shaping esports in ways that it could not before. Like uh, to to give an example, Overwatch. Um, Overwatch is uh, the Overwatch League is really strange in the sense that um, it's organized against behaviors that we know uh, have existed in esports for a long time. So um, so for example, like I keep saying, esports is not bound by space so there was never this idea of like teams that were bound to a place you know in the same way that a team could represent different games they can those players that are on a team could be in different places so you know you you won't necessarily have like a Paris team or a right, San Francisco right. team. it doesn't have yeah. to be place-based exactly so fans would have a would express loyalty and follow you know maybe players that they really like sometimes for cultural reasons sometimes not or sometimes they would express loyalty to a brand like Fnatic or G2 which are both like really strong you know team brands right now and um what Overwatch is doing um i think for very clever marketing reasons but also i think uh, you know for for other larger reasons is that they they are creating a model that's based on cities um, and one single team focused on, you know, one single fort, sport, which is Overwatch, um, you know, like, and you have Paris Eternal and, you know, you have, um, you have Dallas Fuel, you have city-based teams, um, and they, they're creating a model that was not endemic to the sector, a behavior that is not endemic to the sector, but that comes actually from um, traditional sports. Right. And so they're doing that to make it cross cultural lines that people are familiar with and make it a little easier to get your brain around it. Even though, I mean, if you take the Dallas Mavericks, mm -hmm. none of those players, none of those 12 players on the roster are from Dallas. Right. Same thing with the Overwatch team. Probably some yeah. of those people have never been to Dallas, right? Yeah. There are very few French people on Paris Eternal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. That's the team they play for. That's the t-shirt they wear. Of course. Yeah. But it's, it's odd because for a long time, I didn't think that it was going to work. Like it's also a very highly subsidized model. Um, it's a model that uh, works well for marketers because it's easy to pitch to brands. It's a, it's a model that they understand. Right. Um, the argument that they have is also that uh, it will be easier for users because they know who to love and who to hate. Because if New York is playing Boston and you're from New York, well, then you know exactly what to do. Right. You start, um, you come in with some kind of a, a grounding principle yeah how to, how to cheer and how to boo yeah but i also think that's kind of well one i think that's kind of a shame because when i went to my first uh when i went to my first big esports competition which was a a law competition in paris um one of the things that really impressed me was you know like one of the big problems of sports is hooliganism 
And, um, and even when you're the opposing team that people didn't like did something really cool, everybody cheered anyway, because yeah, they were still excited yeah. by the achievement. Exactly. They were excited by the achievement. They recognized the level of strategy. And I thought that was really contagious and cool. Yeah, this is interesting. This is an interesting approach before the, the um, location-based teams, you mentioned a couple other teams by name. And I was thinking about NASCAR that those drivers are locked to a contract that is a team mm-hmm. for an outsider. I don't know many of those teams. I know probably the top two or three race teams, but I really know them by brand. I know by the, the logo that is on the hood and maybe the mm-hmm. one that's on the driver's door that gets coverage, you know, during or right. passenger door during the races. Yeah. So, it's interesting to see esports being clever about making the teams mini brands that can be sponsored and you can buy in and ele- trying to keep those things elevated above the sponsor brand. So it doesn't just become the M&M's team. Oh, nothing. I love, M&M. <laughs> I love M&M's, but I just said it's sponsored by X, you know, X body spray team. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Sure you're trying to tread as you're developing this whole system. Are you how much forethought is going into where we're putting brands and where we're putting sponsorship and, and logos? Are there is there big considerations or is it such a soup that we're testing a lot of things in real time and seeing what works? So esports just because it's growing so quickly, it's started to federate really quickly. And uh, one of the easiest things for it to do, just because it was there already, is to steal a lot of stuff, stuff from the existing model of sports. Right. You know, you have a sponsorship like you have in sports. You have, um, you know, you have, you know, like, yeah, like people are wearing jerseys that are, you know, really, really heavily sponsored. You can sponsor teams. You can sponsor people. Um, so that model definitely does exist here. Um, and we also know that in the near future, if it's not happening already, over 50% of the revenue that comes from esports is going to come from non-endemic brands. So there's an interest and there's also, there's room for them. Um, I would say though, one of the things that, uh, we try to get brands to think about, at least at Hurrah, like, cause we really try to discourage brands from doing just passive sponsorship only because that's not really an engagement with the community that doesn't really express that you know. Right, don't just slap a logo on it. Yeah, exactly. And it's also like our community is special in the sense that um, it is among the rare communities that uh, in addition to being excited about their game and their people that they're following, whatever, um, they're also really sensitive to changes in the industry and they're also following changes to the industry pretty closely. And I think that there's a general understanding that, um, brands are necessary to the growth of the industry, but they're, they're also really critical of the way in which brands engage. So you have to be thoughtful. Um, I think two things that I would say to brands is that, um, you know, when they come and they're like, we want to talk to the esports audience. The first thing that we say is like, well, you know, they're people like, they're just like, normal people. Like, <laughs> Who are you trying to talk to exactly? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, they're not aliens. Like, they do other stuff. Right. They go to school, they go to work. Like, who are you talking to really? Um, That's the first thing. Like, try to, you know, sort of disengage this idea that esports is, you know, like the matrix. Like, everybody's (laughs) going to be a 
And the second thing is that uh, because esports is growing so quickly and because fans care so much, um, there's actually a lot that brands can do to, to solve problems in the space and to facilitate sustainable and inclusive growth that also solves problems. Like one of the like really dumb things is a, well, let me use a concrete example first. So like for Wildest Fans, what we did for Nestle, you know, like what I said was like, you know, we picked like a hundred of the most passionate French fans and took them to Hamburg. Right. Um, the reason we did that was because uh, we knew that generally in the law scene in Europe, people think that French fans are super passionate and really positive, which is like nuts when you know the stereotypes about the French. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't exactly jive with my... Yeah, it doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, but um, they also, that particular year, there were no international tournaments on French soil, which was a shame for them. And that was the problem that the brand was solving. It was like, okay, so tournaments don't come to you. We can take you to them. Um, that was a really nice thing to do. And since then, there have been tons of tournaments for law specifically on French soil. So that was like, you know, that was a positive impact that was made. But like, even if you look at, you know, like so many people that work in esports, um, just because they come from esports originally, they were fans originally, um, they don't have tons of alternative job experience. Um, often they don't come from anywhere else. So in a lot of ways, the sector of esports in crazy ways is kind of remaking its own wheel. Like we're one of the few major, we might be one of the only major entertainment sectors that doesn't have standard codes of conduct for tournaments, for example. That's kind of like, are we still discussing that? It's still still being developed because tournaments are changing and evolving and becoming what their final state might be. Who knows if that'll ever get settled in. Sure. But like tournaments are tournaments, you know, you don't want people to be fucked up to each other. Like we have like tons of precedents from everywhere else in every other sector about what codes of conduct should look like. Like we shouldn't be debating um, what these things should look like. So so there's things like this. And there's also like really silly things like often uh, at big esports events they're hot and they're sweaty and you have a lots of like hardware and machinery running. So it's even hotter and nobody thinks about like water or air conditioning, you know, like, like (laughs) stupid problems, you know, like you're like, you walk in the first time and you go, Hey, I have an idea. We'll get more people here. If it's 70 degrees in here, than than (laughs) 95. Yeah. So I mean, like if you're a brand and you just like, you know the sector enough to think about these little problems and solving these little problems. That's already, that's a huge deal. So carrier air conditioners, if you're listening, this is your spot. You guys should sponsor and pump in the air conditioner. (laughs) My final question, I know you have to get back to work. My final question for you, is it worth going? Is it, are tournaments live? Are they fun? Should I, is that something I should put on my list? Um, Depends on the tournament, obviously, like depends on what you're into, but yeah, I totally, I totally recommend it. Like, like I said, like when I started, I didn't know that much about the sector and the vibe was just like, it's contagious, you know, it's like tens of thousands of people and they're all just happy and it's beautiful. The entertainment, like the production quality is getting better and better like it's getting really really cool um like I think that there's a lot to be said for that like even just in terms of a 
from an anthropological perspective, like, cause esports is still trying to find its identity in terms of like lifestyle branding, right. like what different communities look like from a lifestyle perspective. Um, I think it's definitely worth uh, checking out and going to. Yeah. Put it on my list. <laughs> all right. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I appreciate you taking time out of uh, all the work that you've got going on right now. Uh, no, thank you. Where can people find you? Um, that's a really good question because I'm starting to feel weird about the social networks, but I guess that's where you get found, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on Twitter, I'm Luck the Lady, obviously. Um, well, not obviously because maybe people... That is not that. obvious. Yeah, yeah. Luck, <laughs> like the Sinatra song. Luck be a lady. Okay. So um, the agency... <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you need sleep, I think. You're the first person to ever sing on this show, so that this goes down in history. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not cutting that out. You cannot get me to. <laughs> You're making me regret many life choices now. Uh, uh, what else? The agency website is hurrah.gg, which stands for good game in the sector. Um, and uh, I'm still writing. I'm still writing about advertising at Muse by Clio, which is Muse by CL.io. Um, we talk a lot about creativity generally. Um, I do cover a lot of the gaming and the esports stuff. Um, but yeah, like that's where I can be found. Excellent. Excellent. Even your answer to where can I be found was thoughtful. I <laughs> Thank salute. you. Thank you so much for joining me. So awkward. <laughs> <laughs>